Amen. Thank you so much. What a blessing that was. Great singing. <clears throat> Always great to see the different specials that we have. Thank you so much. Um, would you go to the Valentine's Day banquet with me Saturday? Wanted to put a little extra pressure on her so she didn't say no. Encourage you to come to that. It would be a blessing. It would be a great time together. Children can be dismissed at this time and go back to their class. Appreciate the evens working with them, teaching them on their own lesson. If you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, a lady went to a photographer to have her picture taken. She wanted everything to be just right, so she said to the photographer, now you do me justice, and he replied, ma'am, pardon me, but you don't need justice, you need mercy. Aren't you glad God gave us, just, uh, gave us mercy, not justice, Amen. Uh, sometimes we can all are all in that boat. We're looking today at the subject of prayer. Uh, we used to, years ago, at least I used to anyway, the way I was raised, used to bathe once a week and pray every day. Now most people bathe every day and if they're lucky, pray once a week. And uh, the result has been cleaner bodies, dirtier lives. Today I want to look at what some would probably, well, you know, I was looking at different commentaries this week, and, and uh, some people claim this is such a difficult passage. Uh, it is a passage that at first glance can be very uh, easily misinterpreted. And I love when Jesus takes common conceptions and kind of turns them on their head. Uh, you know, when, when he talked about how Gentiles uh, practice lordship, and he says, but if you want to be great, be a servant. That, that turns everything upside down, according to their thinking of that day. And so, he does kind of that in this passage here. And when he did this, he always taught us timeless truths that will help us live the Christian life. So, let's go to Luke 11. Start at verse number 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine, in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed, are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity will he rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you, seek, and ye shall find, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I want to talk today about relentless prayer. Relentless prayer. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes together here. May we see a truth in your word that will change the way that we pray and live our daily lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke has more to say about Christ praying than any other gospel. Now, in the beginning of the chapter, here in Luke chapter 11, we see that Jesus is asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Christ responded to the request that they gave by giving them an example of prayer and then an exhortation about prayer. Like a good teacher, he proceeds to tell them a story so that they can kind of learn a lesson from it. In the story, we have a man who is in bed by midnight. Now, in an electricity-less culture, uh, midnight really was the middle of your night. I mean, not like today where m many of us uh, go to bed around midnight. It's the beginning of your night. Midnight would have been the middle of his night. <coughs> and he was sound asleep. 
like most people at that time. He was living in a one-room house, and in that one room there was one bed. Uh, we see that. <clears throat> That's why he says, I'm in bed with my children. His neighbor comes with a request, knocking at midnight on his door. He is not coming with any type of emergency. He does not come and say, hey, quickly get up, help. My daughter fell and broke her arm, we need help. Nothing like that. He's here asking for groceries at midnight at this man's door, knocking on his door. There's no way for the man in bed to respond to his request without rousing the entire household. Yet eventually, the man that's knocking on the door gets what he asks for. Why? Well, Jesus says the man gives him bread not because he's his friend. Gives him bread because of the man's importunity. The word importunity, the original word is anidada. It means shamelessness, impudence, boldness, even rudeness. It's a different approach to prayer that any religions tell us to pray. It's a different approach than most of us bring to the Father in prayer. This is a prayer that bothers the one who's being prayed to, that is insistent on the one being prayed to. And that's what Jesus gives as our model. We're talking about a prayer, prayer here of insistent inconvenience. This man persevered in pleading with a pal persistently. You can say that ten times if you can. He persevered in pleading with a pal persistently. Because he continued to pester his friend, he got his bread. And Jesus said, I want you to pray like that. Now, that runs against maybe our common sensibilities, the idea of relentlessly asking for what we want. But lest you think this is a fluke, Jesus talks about it again in Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, Jesus uses an illustration just as shocking. There's an apathetic judge. He's uncaring and he is unjust. There's a widow asking him for justice. The judge does not want to give justice to this widow because he doesn't care about anybody but himself. And yet, though, uh, even though he feels like that, he says in verse 5 of Luke 18, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. I'll give her what she wants just to get rid of her. That's what this judge said. Then Jesus follows that up in verse 7 with saying, And shall God not judge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? importunity, shamelessness, impudence, boldness. This is the type of prayer we're talking about today. That's why Jesus likens prayer in the Bible to knocking. And do you ever knock just once? Have you ever walked to somebody's door and went like this? Just left it at that? If you would, a few weeks ago, actually it was more than a few weeks ago because it was this fall, uh, I was sitting in my office studying, and if you're by yourself, it gets very quiet. And all of a sudden, a bird um, tried to fly through my window. And the window's closed. And so it was this just whack on the window. Scared me half to death. I started speaking in tongues right in my office there. But uh, that's what the sound might be, just a single knock. That's not how we knock, though. We knock consistently, continually. That's how we knock. And Jesus likens prayer to knocking. He says so here in this verse, in verse 9, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And so we have to be careful though 
in the interpretation of Scripture, this is a parable, and a parable is different than an allegory. In an allegory, every feature of the illustration corresponds to a truth. A good example of an allegory is George Orwell's Animal Farm. If you're not familiar with that book, turn on CNN any day of the week and you see it coming into reality. Uh, but a parable is not quite like an allegory. It drives home one point. A parable is trying to bring true one uh, truth and bring it home. And so this is what we see in this parable. The, it's important that Jesus is not, uh, we, we see that Jesus is not asked, how does God receive prayers? But rather, how do we present our prayers? This is not Jesus trying to teach that God is like an unsympathetic neighbor or that he is like an apathetic judge. That's not the point of these stories at all. The, the question wasn't how are their prayers received. The question was how should we give our prayers. And so the question is how do we go to God? Jesus says relentlessly, shamelessly, consistently, rudely even. That's a hard parable. Because again, it kind of runs against our sensibilities. If God knows us and knows what we need, should we pray this way? Uh, if we have the proper respect for God, should we pray this way? When we so often don't get the things that we want, should we keep praying this way? Jesus gives us the answer in this text. It's important because it's a telling answer. It's a way to judge our hearts and it it's a way to live our lives differently going forward if we grasp this truth. Now, before I tell you uh, my thoughts on it, I want to just consider the nature of prayer. Prayer is a clue to the origin of your heart. Prayer tells you where you've come from, and it shows you what you can expect. One interesting thing about prayer is that you could say it's a reflex of the human soul. Prayer is. No matter what you believe, or no matter your unbelief, probably at some point you've prayed. Mark Twain was a famous and ardent unbeliever, outspokenly so. And this is what he said when his wife was very sick. He said, and I quote, I prayed and prayed and prayed like a dog, end quote. We see in times of national tragedy in our nation, newscasters that before would have not been for religion or Christianity at all, uh, want nothing to do with it, all of a sudden become ardent supporters of prayer at a time of national tragedy. As a pastor, I've heard uh, a variance of this many times. I'm not religious, but when I was in the hospital or when this happened or when that happened, I prayed. I even learned a new word this week. I didn't know this word existed last Sunday, but now... Uh, this week as I was doing some reading up on this subject, I found this word, and it's a thing. Pratheist. A pratheist. The definition of the word pratheist is an avowed atheist who turns to prayer during times of serious illness or personal crisis. Isn't that interesting? Now you might say, oh preacher, that doesn't mean anything. All that means is that when you're desperate, you do crazy things. I disagree. In those moments, you find out who you really are. One of the things the Bible teaches us is that God instills in each one of us a God consciousness. You know, you have to... I, one of the interesting conversations I have once in a while, I run into a, 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 an atheist or someone who claims to be an atheist. And I always ask the same question, when did you become an atheist? 
And it's interesting, the answers that you get. They always have an answer. Oh, when I was this old, or when I was that older. And, I, and, and what it, as, as you talk to them, you find that they had to kind of, or something happened in life, or they started to convince themselves of this lack of being a God, because inside of us we are built to believe in God. Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When you're most human, when you're most vulnerable, when you know you're not in control, when you most feel your humanity, you pray. You only pray when you're vulnerable. Uh, you only pray when you're helpless. Uh, that's what, how many people pray anyway. That's not how it should be, but many people only pray when they get vulnerable or helpless. So why wait until a circumstance of life slams that lesson home to you? Why not pray before that happens? You see, the child of God knows that we need Him. The child of God knows we are helpless without the Lord. And so prayer is continually bringing you back into connection with your need. Now once we understand the importance of prayer, I want to focus on how Jesus told us to pray because it almost seems like a lack of respect to God to pray like Jesus tells us to pray here. Why ought we pray like this? The answer, I believe, that we ought to pray shamelessly, that we ought to pray relentlessly, is found in the fact that God's our Father. And we are His children. The whole parable, I believe, hinges or hangs on the Christian doctrine of adoption. Now, Jesus gives us this illustration of a friend relentlessly asking for bread, middle of the night, it's inconvenient. And then in verses 11 through 13, the metaphor changes. Notice with me here. He immediately starts talking about prayer in terms of approaching a father. This takes us back to verse 2. When Jesus gives the model prayer, he does not say, Our friend which art in heaven. He does not say, Our judge which art in heaven. What does he say? Our Father, which art in heaven. And then he gives this illustration of asking for bread, and then he switches it around to where he's talking about a good father providing for his children. What Jesus tells us in this passage about prayer makes no sense except on family terms. To trust God and yet relentlessly bug God is something that a little child can do very well. Do you have children? Children will bug the crazy out of you, won't they? They'll keep at it. How do your children get stuff from you? My son Micah is obsessed with weapons. Guns, knives, slingshots, bows and arrows, throwing stars, anything. And maybe I should be worried, I don't know, but he's obsessed with those things. Couple that obsession with his number one superpower, begging. He's, he's good at that. He'll ask for it. He'll talk about it. He'll ask for it. He'll draw pictures of it. He'll ask for it. He'll obsess over it. He'll ask for it and ask for it again and ask for it again. He loves me. He respects me. He trusts me, but it does not stop him from applying the pressure. And you have children. They do the same thing to you. They keep at it and they keep going. Only in thinking of ourselves as children and God as the Father does this type of prayer make sense. Relentless prayer. Continual prayer. Children, 
on the one hand, have the audaciousness to keep and continue the request, while on the other hand, having, the, ha- having trust, knowing that uh, they don't even expect to understand everything that dad does, yet they keep asking, and they keep asking. Children pray aggressively. Importunity prayer only makes sense <coughs> if we understand that God is your father. We see this example in Scripture at different times. Remember Abraham? God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham has family there, and so he begins to pray, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people there, will you spare the city? All right, Abraham, for 50 righteous people, I'll spare the city. Wait, 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 God, wait, wait. What about if there's only 45 people? Would you spare the city for 45, please? God says, yes, I will spare it for 45. And then, but God, wait, wait, God, wait. What if there's only 40? Will you spare it for 40? Yes, Abraham, I will spare it for 40. God, what if there's only 30 people? Please, 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 will you you spare the city for 30 people? Yes, Abraham, I'll spare the city for 30. God, I'm so sorry to keep bothering you. What about 20? What about 20 people? Would you spare it for 20? Fine, I'll spare the city for 20. Oh, God, please don't be mad at me. I promise I won't ask for anything else ever again in my whole life. Would you spare it for 10? And that's how that conversation went. Read it. It's much the way I gave it. How? How does somebody pray like that? What's going on there? That's what's going on. He just keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps knocking. And God answers and answers and answers and answers. Importunity, shamelessness, impudence, boldness. Moses is praying in Exodus 33. Moses says, God, you you want me to go into the promised land? I will, but I want you to go with me. I don't want to go without you, God. I want you to go with me into the promised land. If you don't go, I won't go. You promised you'd go with me, God. Be consistent. That's the prayer he was praying to God. How does somebody pray like that? I'll tell you how when they're talking to their father. See, this type of prayer makes all the sense in the world when you look at it in family terms. Talking to their father. Your children take liberties with you that nobody else can. If my child, when they were littler, right now they're on their own, but when they were littler, if they'd come to my bedside at 4 a.m. in the morning, I need a drink of water, I'd have probably gotten up and got them a drink of water. Uh, because they have unconditional access. Look, even your spouse doesn't have that kind of access. What if your wife wakes you up at four in the morning? Get me a drink of water. You'd say, you, you can't, can, can you not walk? Get it yourself as you groan and roll back over. Now, I wouldn't say that, but we're not talking about me, we're talking about you. Uh, our children have access to us. Your five-year-old can remind you of what you said. Uh, They can keep asking. They're the picture of importunity. What's considered rudeness uh, by a friend or by a neighbor is not when I come to my father. That's why the saints of old treated God as their father, and it makes sense if we understand who we're talking to. Importunity prayer only works on family terms. And John chapter 1, verse 12 was <coughs> such a blessing to share this with a young lady that accepted Christ this week uh, that, that when I was able to show her this verse, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, 
Even to them that believe on His name, many people believe to be a Christian is to come to God and say, God, I commit myself to You and I promise to be good. That's more like drawing a contract up with an employer or saying, God, I'll give myself to You, I'll devote myself to pray, I'll go to church, I'll read the Bible, I'll try really hard. We sign up and agree to do work for God and in turn, we want benefits for it. In that case, you kind of relate to God as a boss. Because with your boss, you don't go the way a child goes to a father. You don't go with boldness. You don't go with an absolute certainty that you'll always be heard. You don't go consistently, constantly, and repeatedly. You don't go unless you feel that you've worked hard and yet you deserve what you're asking for. And that's a completely different form of prayer. Yet it's the way most of us pray to God. It's formal. It's not intimate. It's not shameless. But something happens when you get saved. When you get saved, you become His child. You're adopted into His family. Can I tell you today that adoption is not a change of nature or even a change of behavior. It is a change of status by the act of a father. And when you are adopted into His family, you now enjoy the privileges and the promises that no one else has. You have access to the Father that no one else has. And the reason it happened is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, yet was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then it goes on to say, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He came and lived a perfect life on earth and died to pay the penalty for our imperfect lives. And so now we have two ways to approach God. And these two ways basically show us the difference between Christianity and religion. The first way, God be my boss. I'm going to live a good life. So because I'm living a good life, please hear my prayer. The second way we can come is God be my father. I can't live a good life, but because of what Jesus did, I rest in him alone for my salvation. Hear my prayer because I'm your child. Totally different ways to go to the Lord. Fundamentally different ways to relate to God. God as my boss, saved by my efforts. God as, by, as my father, saved by Christ's efforts. Listen to me because I've worked for it. Listen to me because Christ has worked for it and I now belong to you. In the one, your prayer life will be formal. It'll be anxious. It will be intermittent. It'll happen only when you're desperate. And then when God doesn't come through immediately, you'll wonder what's wrong. You see, an employee always fully expects to understand their employer, but a child does not even expect to understand a father. A child just knows the father loves him or her, expects him to do things that they do not understand. I don't understand, but I know he loves me. Two different approaches to come to God. Listen, the best thing we can do is to recognize Him as our Father. And this chapter, we're not really going to get into it too much today, but it talks about how good of a Father He is. Now, don't misunderstand the spirit in which we pray. When we talk about going to Him relentlessly, we're not talking about forgetting who He is or coming uh, in any form of disrespect. Even Abraham, when he kept coming back to God, listen to what he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. He recognized who he was and who God was. 
when Moses approached God, uh, he was told to put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground, Exodus 3.5. Of course God is still God. Yes, we remember that when we pray, but it's because of his majesty and his holiness and his greatness that this kind of access is so unbelievable. We have that access to our Heavenly Father. Jesus said, keep knocking. Bother him for anything, big or small. Pour your heart out to him. Pray aggressively, just like a child does. Children also pray trustingly. Verse 11, look what the Bible says. We're in Luke 11, look at verse number 11. If a son shall ask for bread, of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Of course not. Fathers don't do that. It's interesting thing about children. They ask for things and they want things that are not always good for them. Had a child before realize that? Absolutely. Children ask for lots of things that's not good for them at the time. When my son was nine years old, we went to the knife emporium little store here in Flandreau, and we were looking at different knives, and I agreed to buy him a pocket knife. And so when we took it up to buy it at the uh, counter, the lady, smart lady, says, I know boys, she was explaining to him. And so whenever I sell a knife to a boy, I put a Band-Aid into the box with the knife. And uh, we got a kind of a good chuckle with that. He was wearing that Band-Aid 45 minutes later. Why? Because sometimes adults know better than children do when they ask for things. Guess what? As parents, we know better than they do. Sometimes we say to the child that asked for something, no, you cannot have that. It is not good for you at this time. Built into that child is the understanding, if dad gives it to me, it's a good thing. I'll give you an example. Imagine if you go, give your 16-year-old a car. Your 16-year-old, I don't know if one's ever existed, that would say, you know what, dad, I really appreciate it, but I just don't know if I'm mature enough to handle this yet. No, no 16-year-old I've ever met would say that. Why? Because they trust their father and what they give them is good for them. Children ask trustingly. They don't always like a no, but they'll always trust a yes if they get it. Instinctively, they bug their parents trustingly. Instinctively, they expect their parents to take care of them. They expect their parents to love them. They expect to be accepted. And I'm simply saying today, we need to approach prayer in family terms. Makes a whole lot of difference if we see this story in terms of family coming to a father. Let me make a profound statement. Think on this here. This is so true. Your father gives you everything you would ask for if you knew everything he knows. We don't know everything he knows, though. So we need to trust him. And that's how prayer works. Heard the story of a man who found a lamp half buried in the sand. He picks up the lamp and he rubs it. That's what you do with lamps you find in the sand and you know what happened. Out pops a genie. And so this genie uh, says to the man, all right, you freed me. You get to uh, make one wish. The guy said, I thought it was three wishes. He says, no, that was fake news. You get one wish. And so he thinks on it for a second and he says, I wish I was rich. And the genie said, poof, it's done. 
And then as he turns around and walks away, he says, you have a nice day, Rich. And uh, think about that for a second. The sad fact is, many people treat prayer kind of like a genie lamp. You make a wish, and you want it to come true, and if it doesn't, we get upset. And you're not relentlessly like a child, knock, 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 continuing to ask, but you're trusting God. Instead, you come to the point, I, I asked God, He said nothing happened, and, and I don't know, I guess it's a no, and I've, I've had it. Prayer doesn't work. Well, prayer doesn't work that way. Here's the problem. Imagine if you gave a genie's lamp to an eight-year-old or a six-year-old. Imagine if you gave one to your child. You can have anything you want. Just make a wish and it'll happen. Have you ever had an eight-year-old? Have you ever been an eight-year-old? They would destroy themselves if they had the option to choose anything they wanted. I wish I had a rocket ship so I could go to space. I wish I had a pet scorpion. You know what I'm talking about. They wouldn't be able to handle it if they had that ability. And prayer is not a genie's lamp. If it were, we'd all be in a big mess. Prayer only works on family terms. You go to your father, you don't go to a genie. If, you, uh, if you're a Christian and you've been asking for something and God has not given it to you, it's just the possibility that it might be a scorpion that you're asking for. You don't realize it, but God in His wisdom looks and says, no, you cannot have that right now. That's not good for you at this time. Listen, friend, where would you be today if God had given you everything you've ever wanted? We'd be in a bad mess, wouldn't we? Sometimes God says no. Later, we're really glad He did. If you're upset that you don't get what you pray for right away, it's because you want prayer to work like a genie lamp, and it doesn't. As far as knowing what's best for us, listen, if we're going to be honest, we're not that much better than toddlers at knowing what's good for us. Why don't we trust the one who knows our past, knows our future, and has it all in hand? Let's just trust our Father. We get bitter, angry, and upset because God hasn't done the things the way we want it to be done. You're not practicing the fact that you're His child. You're not willing to respond to Him as a father. And that's how we need to respond to Him. Now, what's your alternative to trusting God? I mean, really, it's the only alternative we have, but uh, if, if you don't trust in the Lord, you're going to get anger, uh, angry, you're going to get bitter, you're going to get resentful. Uh, two responses here. You will feel you deserve what you ask for, and when you don't get it, you get angry. Or you'll feel that unworthy and think, I can't possibly keep coming back to God and asking for those things. Look at what Jesus says here in verse number 13. He says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Did you catch that when He's talking to His disciples? Ye who are evil. Evil. He did not say ye who are still sinful. Ye who are flawed. Ye who have some rough edges. That's not what he says. He says, ye who are evil. He says, you've given your life to me, but you're still self-centered. You're still evil. And guess what? He's still your father. And he wants to give you good things. we got to get beyond the point to where we think we deserve what we ask for. And get to the point where we realize he's our father. Lord, this is what I want. This is what I'd like to, and we keep coming, we keep asking, and we keep 
praying to the Lord, but in all the while, while we're praying aggressively, also praying trustingly. Despite, if, if he's your father, if you recognize he's your father, you'll go to him despite your failure. No matter the burden in your life, you'll take it to him. If it seems that he's not responding, he's your father, so you keep on coming and keep on coming. Do you think, we, 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 we got to get past the point of thinking that we prayed for something one time and so that's it. We just stop now. We don't continue to pray. We need to keep bringing it to the Lord. Keep bringing it to Him. Why do you think God wants us to continually come back? Fathers love repetition. We love to have our children remind us of what we said. Well, unless it's used against us. Now, I don't like that very much. But we love to have our children remind us of what we said. We love to have our children lean on us in a time of need. We love to know you're listening. We love when people try, when our children try to emulate us. And your father wants you to keep coming and depending on him. Your father wants you to put to practice what he has written in his word, incorporating it into our hearts. The father wants us to become like him, spend time with him, seek his presence. So keep knocking, keep coming to him. He says, you have not because you ask not. Why does he want us to continue to ask? Because that's how families work. We reiterate. Heard a statement one time by a man. I told my wife I loved her on our wedding day. And if that ever changes, I'll let you know. Or I'll let her know. I was thinking, boy, aren't you just a barrel of romance? That's not going to cut it, Casanova. She's going to want to hear it more than that once. Why? Because that's what families do. They reiterate. They keep coming. They keep uh, talking. She needs to keep hearing it. Keep confirming. Keep reinforcing. It's not a once and done deal. It's a lifetime of communicating and building that relationship. Dear friend, listen, if you could only see today that your worry and your guilt and your lack of prayer all really come from looking at God the wrong way, Never forget, He is your Father. He loves you more than any earthly father could love their children. That's what he compares here in verse 13. Now, as an earthly father, I can tell you I would do anything for my children. If you're a father in here or a mother, you feel the same way. We do anything for our children. And yet we have a heavenly father who makes our love look like hate in comparison because we're evil. We're still sinful. His love is so perfect. And we have to realize that when we come to Him. Pray relentlessly. Pray constantly. And then you can rest in the peace and joy of your Father's arms. In this room, probably, or under the sound of my voice, we have parents with wayward children, don't stop taking your need to your Father. We have friends or family that aren't saved and our heart breaks. Don't stop taking your need to your Father. You may be battling a physical ailment that consumes you. Don't stop taking your need to your Father. You may be battling an addiction and it keeps you from being all you can be for God. Don't stop taking your need to your Father. I'm simply saying today that from this story we find we're just to continue knocking. Just keep on knocking. Just keep on asking. And when it's inconvenient, we just continue to pray and seek God. 
And then he promises here, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. How do we do those things? He just gave a story to demonstrate how we do those things. We do it consistently. We do it relentlessly. We do it constantly. We just keep on uh, bombarding the throne of heaven with what we need. <coughs> you may be here today. You may be moral. You may be decent. You may be even religious. But if you're not a Christian, you don't know God as your Father. The relentlessness, the shamelessness, the childlikeness that Jesus says must be a part of prayer, it's not a part of your prayer. You pray only when you're desperate. That proves you're human. does not prove you're a child of God. But if you pray only when you're desperate, you're probably not His child. As is demonstrated in this passage, do you know that you're in His family? Do you know that you know that God is your Father? If you can know that, if you do know that I should say, then you can pray like this, like we see in this passage here, relentlessly knocking, just continuing to knock. That must have been the, one, the most annoying visitor that guy got in a long time. Midnight loaf of bread. He'd have got a loaf of bread. It'd have been up a side against his head. Amen. It was passed out there. But he got what he wanted because he prayed with importunity. When you do this, the Bible says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Why? Because he's their father. Approach God as your father. And if you do, if you do approach God as your father, then you can, play, then you can pray relentlessly and he'll hear you. He gives us an example in this passage. How do we pray? And he gives us that story. Pray when it's inconvenient. Uh, just keep on going, even if it seems to bother the one you're praying to. Just keep on asking and keep on praying. And don't stop. Pray with importunity, relentlessly taking your needs to the Heavenly Father. He loves you. He wants to give you the things that you need. He gives you what's best for you. But He definitely wants you to keep on praying and doing so relentlessly. He's your Father. Let's not forget that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm talking to some folks today. You've been...